So, do you actually literally believe in any conspiracies? <laughs> I need you to get super real on this. Like you, you actually literally and super real, which it's like a triple dog. Dare. This is what my five year old says when he is not telling the truth. For real, for real, for real, for real, for real. For real. Do you for real believe? Yes, in conspiracies? yes, I do, and I've been telling you about it for years. Aliens. <laughs> Now 60 Minutes is getting in on it. Do 60 Minutes just did a huge what? thing on the aliens thing. They're slowly releasing information. It's all military, <laughs> whatever. They're they're preparing us for the revelation, for the reveal. It seems like it feels a little anticlimactic though, because doesn't it seem like they we just it. heard yes, it, they that's the they point. buried it in 2020, which was like a cavalcade exactly. of news stories. Yes. Now think. Now you you have a great marketing and PR mind. I do. Yeah. Think if if you were if you were in charge of some super yeah. high level clandestine group that was supposed to somehow get people ready to learn that there are aliens. Yeah. Oh, I'd bury it in a pandemic You'd bury for it in a sure. Pandemic, and that's yeah. what they're doing. Yeah, because you're not going to get a better opportunity <laughs> than the whole world being obsessed with one disease. Um. Yeah, you know... That's a fact. You do have... Do you think... I mean, you know, I think you do have an orientation toward conspiracies. <laughs> I also, though... I mean, I have it... Do you? Do you have an orientation well, toward it? I have like a... Let me run this idea by you. I have like a class-based orientation mm -hmm. toward conspiracy theories because oh, my grandpa Weir mm -hmm. um, is is in his nineties now, and as long as I can remember, he's been really into conspiracy theories. Like he was, he got really into the Left Behind series. Mm -hmm. I think I've told you this before. Not because he was. Uh, religious in any way, mm -hmm. which the Left Behind series are these apocalyptic reimaginings of the Book of Revelation from mm -hmm. a premillennial dispensationalist viewpoint for the twenty late twentieth early twenty first century. <laughs> anyway, a full history right there. Yeah, of the view. He he basically loved those books because he believed that there was some sort of one world government that was coming uh, for him. Right, his mechanic yep. self. Yep. Do you think that that's why you maybe? appreciate the odd yeah, conspiracy theory. It could be. I grew up with a lot of that stuff. and uh, Just kind of in the air. There's Well, there's kind of like a, it's like it's like what I have called, and I believe there are others who have said this um, um, recently as well. We mentioned this in a prior episode, this idea that religion and spiritual ideas don't really die. They just move. It's like, I call mm -hmm. it the first rule of the thermodynamics of religion. <laughs> religion is neither created nor destroyed. It just moves. Yeah. Well, right? you know, I think that's, I think there's something to that. And I'm I'm actually excited about this episode that we are introducing here because you called something as like an important religious yep. phenomena right as it was happening. I flagged QAnon. You did. That's a big deal in 2018. Listeners, 2018, I remember it as if it were yesterday. Oh. We were sitting in the studio and you said, I found this thing. It's going to be a big deal. <laughs> and you were right. It has morphed so many times into so many truly important things. Yep. Do you feel kind of smug right now? Oh, completely. Although I also <laughs> feel like there's a saying like a broken clock is right twice a day. <laughs> I also predict a lot. Yeah, that's the key to correct predictions. You just do a lot predict of them. Predict a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. People don't remember the wrong ones. Well, no, it's true because you, you know, you called it and I love a an out there idea yeah. more than your average citizen i'm well, sure that's why we're that's why i'm talking to you about yeah this. that's why we're doing this the but whole point of this i i kind of thought you. that it might fade a little bit yeah you know just because 
well, at the time there were so many wild ideas going on and, but no, QAnon, do you have any ideas about why QAnon has staying power? Because we're going to talk a little bit about the, the phenomena, Yeah. but why has it lasted? I don't know. I just think it's a, it's a great story. It Mm -hmm. plays directly into people's pre-existing biases and fears in a perfect way. It's intricate and it's a conspiracy that's built for the internet. And I think those things together. You know, the beauty of it too is it's not really falsifiable. Right. Like you can't right. actually prove it no, wrong. Any good conspiracy should not be falsifiable because uh-huh. you always have to be like, well, where's the proof? And be like, well, you're never going to see the proof. And be like, well, they denied it. Well, of course that's they what they want it. you that's to That's what think. they want you to think. Yeah. So you can always like go to that. It's like infinity. There's always a number above the number <laughs> that you come right. to. That's right. That's what a conspiracy is like. <laughs> This is Weird Religion, a podcast for people who know religion is weird but love it anyway. My name is Brian Doak. I'm a professor and biblical scholar, and I think if aliens visited, the first thing I would ask them about, their food. (laughs) My name is Leah Payne. I'm a historian, author, professor, and I have a conspiracy theory about the origins of American cheese. That's probably the most mysterious cheese I've heard in a long time. In this episode, we're re-releasing some content and an interview we did in episode 017, The Conspiracy. Is the world only what it seems to be on the surface? Or is there some theory about what is really happening beneath it all, behind the scenes? Are Americans particularly into conspiracy theories, or do we just think we're the best at literally everything? (laughs) We talk about the documentary, The Trump Prophecy, as well as ancient conspiracies, the Book of Revelation, QAnon, Plato, aliens, and whether toucans as a species are a hoax. We interview psychologist Dr. Michael Wood at the University of Winchester in the UK about who has the best conspiracy theories and why people believe in them at all. And you'll get a chance to hear a blast from the past, The Kitsch Corner. We elevate the human spirit and oral imagination with an internet song about how a certain president is the leopard king prophesied in the book of Revelation. Join us. Join us. Who is your favorite conspiracy theorist? Could be someone you know, could be someone you see in, in the news. Well, I would say, I okay, so I mean, the first person <laughs> that pops to my mind is my dad. He doesn't have very extreme conspiracy theories, but I think he would just go along with almost anything. And he's the one that I've heard the most kind of conspiracies from. I don't know, it's hard to say. I mean, I've watched recently the whole Alex Jones Infowars thing. Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of clips of that. And I wouldn't call him my favorite in any means because he's such a sleazebag and a loser. <laughs> totally. Like acting like the yeah. new, the Newtown elementary school shootings oh, were, you know, so one low. of the one of the ugliest conspiracies and because of the way that that actually hurts people in the real yeah. world. But so I wouldn't call him my favorite, but he's the one I've probably seen the most mm, yeah. recently. I don't know. What about you? Well, as a person, my favorite conspiracy theorist is my grandpa. Um, Ooh. Yeah, he um, he loved the Left Behind series. Grandpas are classic conspiracy theorists. Yeah, I think it's kind are of they a not? prerequisite. Totally. Yeah. yeah, he loved the Left Behind series, not because he was a particularly religious person at all. In yeah. fact, to the contrary, but more because of the conspiracy theory part of it. He's like, it could happen. It like, could totally happen. And, and the, the plot behind the Left Behind series <laughs> is that at some moment in time, unknown to anyone except God, God's yep. self. There is a global conspiracy. A global conspiracy. Mm-hmm. People, the faithful, will be zapped out of the earth in an event called the rapture. Mm-hmm. And the, the stuff that he really liked had to do with like this potential, like the adaptation. The Left Behind series 
tries to create kind of a one-to-one adaptation of this series of events in the book of Revelation, which is difficult to do because the book of Revelation isn't a terribly chronological book. And so, but they try and kind of make it, like map it out into our time. And so my grandpa really liked the stuff about like the peacemaking European leader or what, I can't remember. It's been a long time since I've read the books. But anyway, so yeah, he he loved it. He's probably my favorite because it's sort of heartwarming when it's your grandpa. It's kind of disturbing when you see it on TV. You know, like yeah. the 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 Alex yeah, yeah, Jones yeah. thing. Oh, totally. Yeah, but then when it's like your grandpa, you're like, oh. Do you, you have know. a conspiracy that's that's your favorite conspiracy or type of conspiracy? Oh, um, I like the ones. I mean, because I like history myself, I like the ones that are that seem like super super far fetched, but people are really passionate about them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Do you have a, a favorite well, type? Uh, well, I don't have a my my favorite conspiracy. I will say, and obviously you can tell the title of our episode today. The conspiracy. <laughs> we're talking about conspiracy theories, and we're gonna we're gonna get to some contemporary ones that have become really newsworthy. But look, I'm gonna take it back because, okay. like, I would say QAnon has become. Yeah, uh, uh, you you you're into that one. You've well, kept me posted. I'm I'm into it in one sense, but, but not, not as a believer. Not, <laughs> <laughs> Newsflash: Brian's into QAnon. Uh, well, let's let's come back to that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. But so from the ancient world, because yeah. ancient history, love it. I'm a biblical scholar. This is what I do. My favorite. There was a conspiracy theory in the ancient world that was popular for almost 400 years straight. That's staying power. Can you imagine the staying power? Like, just imagine no. it. So we don't have the kind of attention span that the ancients had. Clearly. No, no, no. They lived to age nine hundred, and they could pay attention to a conspiracy <laughs> for up to four hundred years. Half their lives. That was a known thing. Yes. Okay. So, fact. Hashtag fact. Hashtag fact. People in the ancient world could pay attention for four hundred years straight. Yeah. And what? And so this conspiracy, um, I, I believe it's referred to often as Nero Redivivus. Nero resurrected. So mm-hmm. the emperor Nero in, in the um, Roman Empire. A truly awful person. Truly awful person, insane, um, just like a notable a notable weirdo from history mm-hmm. in, in the bad sense. Bad weird, hashtag bad weird. Mm-hmm. Um, he died, I think, around the year 68 AD and committed suicide. But there was, there was a conspiracy that developed that said that he had not actually really died mm. or that he would resurrect. Wow. And that he would come back and lead an army and retake Rome. Wow. And people were still believing this in the early 5th century AD when Augustine was writing The City of God because he mentions it as a right. as a theory that people and it was like a lot of this Roman cult stuff. It was more popular in the eastern parts of the empire like in today's Middle East, not so much in Rome itself maybe, but it had yeah. staying power and it may have even made its way. And this is a particular, uh, this may be of interest to Bible readers. It might've even made its way in a kind of uh, a co-opted sense or a symbolic sense into the book of Revelation. That's really interesting. Revelation chapter 13 mentions this idea of a beast that has a head wound, but then recovers from the head wound. That sounds, and, and a lot of the symbolism about the 666 scholars think is probably about Nero because Nero's name in the gematria, which is like a number letter correlation thing in the Hebrew alphabet. Actually, which is another thing that conspiracy theorists love. Which is another conspiracy. Yeah. 666 spells, I mean, the, the name the name Nero Kaiser spells six, is 666 in the gematria. So all of that really together with the Nero thing suggests that maybe they were using the Nero Rita Vivus myth in some way, like co-opting it to talk about empire and to talk about 
a horrible time, you know, a horrible period of, of persecution. Wow. And so I love that conspiracy theory because yeah. 400, because people believed it for, people talked about it for hundreds of years. That is really fascinating. So while you were talking, I was trying to think like, is there an American version of that? I mean, there are some sort of, and I don't know how far back, like, like conspiracies about the Illuminati, you right. know, for example, go right. like if you've ever, you know, on the um, dollar bill, the kind of the pyramid, the top of the yeah, pyramid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, people say that this is evidence that there's a secret society that is like of of wealthy people that are right. controlling everything. But my, my favorite conspiracies in some ways are comparable to your – um, the example of Nero, which is conspiracy theories that tell us a little bit about the people who are making the theories yes, up. Yes. It's kind of meta, I guess, but you know, some like in the 19th century, there were these conspiracy theories that Catholics, that the Pope was trying to take over the United ah, States. Right, right. And of course, not, you know, coincidentally, not coincidentally at that time, there was this huge influx of Italian and Catholic immigrants to right. the United States. And so, you know, a lot of historians, and, and I would say myself included, look at that and say, like, oh, you can see that there's this Protestant cultural majority that is, they're anxious about, you know, this group of people who are different, who have a really different sense of, like, how authority structures work mm-hmm. in religious um, organizations. Mm-hmm. And so, they're afraid of, you know, these people. So, then there's this conspiracy theory. Now, you know— Probably most people in the 19th century weren't believing that, but there are some really interesting old, like, newspaper cartoons, political cartoons. Like, one of them shows um, this, you know, innocent—I think, if I remember right, it's like an innocent child um, on the shores, and Lady Liberty, you know, is behind them. And then there's this crocodile, and the the mouth of the crocodile is the Pope's hat. Oh. And it's, like, trying to, like, eat the young of America. Oh, I can, so, see, I can see it in my mind's yeah, eye. Yeah, it's actually kind of interesting. So, to me, I'm like, oh, those conspiracy theories— are interesting because they tell us about the people who are making them up. Catholics are often the kind of victim of these sorts of things too. Like when the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered because there was a Catholic excavation team involved, people thought that Catholics, the Catholic hierarchy was actually suppressing the true results of the Dead Sea Scrolls, which would somehow disprove Christianity in the church and that they were, (laughs) that's a different Da Vinci Code kind of style. That's interesting. I didn't know that. I mean, the Da Vinci Code conspiracy was was kind of fun back in those days when that was being promulgated. I mean, full of historical silliness and kind of religious malarkey and stuff like that. I was in grad school at that time. Were you? Yeah. Okay. Um, we had just been, uh, no, I hadn't just been married. I don't know. I remember listening to it, though, with my wife on a very long road trip, like on, <laughs> on CD, on multi-part nice. CD, we listened to it. Well, what I remember about that, because the main character is supposed to be a symbologist from Harvard. Yes, which, yes, the Harvard you know, symbologist. There is no such department. Well, let me just say, is there a symbology department? At Harvard? At Harvard. Well, you know, I never really went outside of my own department. We were like kind of like monks for our discipline. <laughs> so I'd, right. I'd, I didn't even know if there were other people at Harvard. There <laughs> might have been. Little, there might have been. There's a symbology there's department. A, let's just, you know what? Let's Why just, not? Let's just say that there is. Yeah. yeah. There's a symbologist. I wonder when we talk about um, conspiracies, of course, these are still alive and well, today, it's not as though just like ancient people or weirdos in the 19th yeah. century believed twisted things about Catholics. Like this QAnon thing, for example, which yeah. is kind of at the core, I guess, of what what we wanted to talk about today. The QAnon or maybe a related, I don't know that it's really related, but I saw that there's a film coming out around the time that we're doing this taping right. called The Trump Prophecy. Yeah. Or is it The Trump Prophecies? Well, The Trump Prophecies is the book. The book. And then the film adaptation is singular. So yeah, I don't yeah. know. Okay. They must have filtered through some of the prophecies. So maybe these aren't related, but they are kind of related in that they focus 
focus on some aspect of the president. Like, let's start yeah. with QAnon. Like, in case yeah. you've somehow escaped this summer and this fall without knowing what QAnon, like the letter Q and then A-N-O-N, QAnon, mm-hmm. sometimes written with a dash in between. Yeah. What is the QAnon conspiracy about? Do, well, do you, well do you I think you should explain it because <laughs> because you're just you have delved deeper into the QAnon the QAnon phenomenon. world. For one thing, it's like it lives on on Reddit, right? And I I get confused by how to even read Reddit threads. Well, I think it it, it was born on a site that's like Reddit in some oh. ways, but crass are called 4chan, like oh. the number four C H A N. And this okay. is a site where a lot of sort of you know stereotypically at least disgruntled males go, and it, it was birthed there, I believe, on 4chan. <laughs> somebody with the username QAnon. It's kind of like, for those of you older folks who maybe don't know what the internet is, it's kind of like a chat room <laughs> or like a message board, okay, where people can post a message and then That's other right. people respond to it. Okay? Angrily, preferably. So somebody posted something and said that they were QAnon. That was their handle or their tag. And they said that they were a close insider deep inside the Trump presidency yes. inner circle. And they had secret information that in fact... The Mueller investigation, the Mueller FBI investigation into Donald Trump was a facade, was a misdirection. Yes. In fact, cloaking cloaking the fact that the FBI is actually investigating <gasps> Hillary Clinton. Of course. And for the of and there was course. this whole thing called Pizzagate. There was a conspiracy about Hillary Clinton. Yeah, that there was I remember that. Like a child pornography ring being run out of a pizza place in New Jersey or something. I don't know, something like that. Yeah. And that somehow she was involved. And so QAnon proposed people think farcically as a satire. Oh, that's interesting. It's so, interesting that people are psychologizing it or or attributing things. To this I know, person. right? Yeah. So it was meant as a joke, but okay. some people started to take it seriously and it kind of like, it, it jumped the fence from the world of satire and internet into real life. And people started showing up at QAnon rallies. Roseanne Barr famously was yes, tweeting around the time right. that she was fired from the show Roseanne. She began tweeting out QAnon propaganda yeah. and believed it. And then there was, there's even been like violence. Like somebody showed up at, I think YouTube headquarters and was threatening or someone threatened on a YouTube video, yeah. a QAnon proponent to shoot up YouTube, oh my which actually happened in real life from another conspiracy theorist earlier this same year. Yeah. Well, I think, so I remember, cause you, you told me about QAnon first this last summer, I think right when it was kind of like coming right. to national attention. Right. And then, um, the, the thing that it shares in common with this film that's coming out, mm-hmm. um, the Trump prophecy is this idea that there is that in an unlikely place, someone finds out something like in support of the Trump, um, administration. So the case of the Trump prophecy, what I think is fascinating about this story is that it is um, this this retired firefighter um, supposedly had an experience, a, a vision of the future, mm-hmm. the, um, a message from the Holy Spirit in 2011, mm-hmm. which um, would have been several years before the election cycle really right. got going, that Donald J. Trump, prior to that, had only been known as like the gaudy real estate-ish reality show type of guy would become president of the United States. And then apparently according to him and, you know, like this is, uh, this guy's definitely must come from some sort of Pentecostal or charismatic background because the way that he tells the story is at least to me as a scholar of the movement, very recognizable because the story kind of is growing on itself. Like Mm -hmm. first it was that. And then there are like all these additional details, you know, that get told because people tend to embellish stories a little bit as they, they go along. So anyway, this book, the Trump prophecies was published with a woman, 
um, a, a co-author, and um, they then this book kind of took off. I think it was a grassrootsy thing. Then um, these film students, I think, at Liberty University, which is the president of president of Liberty University, is Jerry Falwell Jr., who is a steadfast supporter of bastion Trump. bastion of conservative politics and yes. Trump support. Yeah, huge Trump supporter. Um, they they made a film of it, and so this film is coming out, and supposedly it's going to give us a lot of information about this prophetic word, and and that's those. I would say that's the. The tie to QAnon and right. um, to this film is that there's just this incredible amount of optimism about the Trump administration and what it right. could potentially mean, in particular, um, at least in the Trump prophecy one for Christians. What's your sense as a scholar of of religious studies of American religious history? What's your sense about conspiracy theories in general? Are, are religious people somehow specifically? I don't know, prone to believing in conspiracies? Is there something conspiratorial about faith that makes that a natural fit? Or are are the two just not connected in any way, do you think? Well, I mean, I'd like to hear your thoughts on conspiracy theories in terms of like how they might play out in the Bible, because we talked a little bit about Revelation. But I will say that it certainly seems there is— it may not be like a causal relationship, right. but there does seem to be a strong correlation between um, people who um, have – there seems to be an appeal. Like it's a similar appeal, I guess, which is that there's a mystery in this world and someone knows how to decode it. And so I think – You know, there's lots of different religious movements that have this idea, like the world, you may see the world in this way, Mm -hmm. but we're going to tell you the way the world actually is. And that that key knowledge is going to change everything about your life, and it's going to change, it's going to make your life potentially better or potentially, you know, more, you'll be able to understand the things that happen um, in this world, maybe even predict them. So I think that there's, I mean, even if you're not, I, I don't really think of myself as much of a conspiracy theorist for one one big reason. Mm. And I think it's that people don't keep secrets very well. Like it's just <laughs> not in human nature. People are, it's not that people don't want to have a conspiracy. They're too incompetent yeah. to have a conspiracy. I really think that's true. I think people just, no one can really <laughs> keep a secret. So that's my one reason why Your I'm pretty caveat. skeptical. Yeah. But I can see that there's some similarities between like, you know, wanting to decode this this world that we live in it's so mysterious what about you yeah i mean i think in some ways it's not even it's not like a slam on spiritual or religious people to say that there is some affinity because i think in some ways at the heart of 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 religious belief at the heart of spirituality is usually something very strange and very mysterious and you know i think a lot of christians would probably be actually really comfortable with the idea that their faith is kind of like a holy conspiracy of sorts absolutely like yeah. and 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 would embrace that like the idea like okay as Christians, we believe that there was a guy who came from in a marginalized place who rose up and who is in fact God's son and who was born of a virgin and then people killed him, but then he rose up from the grave and flew into the sky and he's going to come back someday. Yeah, that's like, weird. That's, you know, you've just yeah. got to say, like as Christians, I think you embrace the weird. Yes. You yeah. embrace it. You you embrace the weird religion there and you say that's, but it is, you know, I think at the heart of both conspiracy theories and a lot of religious movements is a deep interpretive impulse. Yeah. There's an impulse toward interpretation, toward seeing cues and clues. And I think that Christians also would be readily available to admit that, you know, the idea that it's almost like Plato, like in the cave analogy in the Republic, mm-hmm. where it's like the world isn't quite what it seems. 
Yes. And I think that way of thinking that the world isn't quite what it seems is a key part of, you know, a lot of like Christian kingdom theology, the idea that there's a kingdom that's already here, but it's not quite yet here. Yeah. I mean, to me, that sounds conspiratorial um, and not in a negative way, but just like that's what there's, that's the affinity, I think, between yeah. the two things. No, I think that's true. And, and especially for American Christians, there's something that Americans seem to like about conspiracy theories. So, I mean, it it could be, I mean, one potential reason for it is because we just, we are a nation that was built on conspiracy (laughs) and spying and, (laughs) All right against the British and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. There's a really interesting show on AMC called Turn about that. But um, yeah, like they're, Oh, turn! Is this yeah. is this like a Revolutionary War story? It is. We and tried to watch this, oh, yeah. man. It's so granular and it's so plodding. Oh, <laughs> I love. We it. couldn't get into it. Oh. Well, the the thing that I loved about it, it's based on this book about George Washington's spy network. But anyway, so yeah, it's it like we we're kind of built on that, and yeah. then also, I mean. Conspiracy theories are just fun. I mean, there, there's a fun factor to them. Like I, on the one hand, it's like I know something you don't, but then it also makes this world that we live in just more exciting. You know, because I go about my day and I, I have kind of a routine, and it it disrupts that routine and it mm-hmm. makes it seem like there's something like really amazing and potentially like earth shaping going oh, on, yeah. you know, with me just going to the grocery store, you know, I don't know, like maybe something else is happening, you know, maybe beneath exciting. the floor of the store, there's like another world and Why some not? other kind of people, <laughs> I, you know, one of, I, I have loved the conspiracy theories that have grown up around the Roswell, New Mexico. Oh, thing. I love that stuff. And Aliens. we have a, we, an alien story near, close to home. Near us in McMinnville, which is, which, is a mere, which is a mere 15 minutes ish from where we sit right now here in Newburgh, Oregon. Yep. There's, there's a, is, UFO, there's a festival. UFO festival. We got to go. You know, the UFO festival is on May 18th, which is my anniversary, my wife. And so every year we can't go. How can we convince Susan to have weird religion episode on our anniversary in McMinnville at the UFO As a woman, I just feel like that's, but we'll, we'll find a way. We got to think about this. Maybe she can be a part of the episode or something, but I I love the Roswell thing. Like the weirdest conspiracy theory that I heard come out of that. I think Uh I can tell it quickly here. Um, and and it takes a dark turn. So warning Uh is that so the idea being that the Air Force reported that there was a UFO that landed, it got reported in the papers, and yeah. then the next day, suddenly they had a very different story that it was a weather balloon, as if people yeah. in the Air Force would confuse a weather balloon with a flying disc. Yeah. So there's a guy who says that he was involved in the Air Force effort or like Secret Service or something. Nice. He says that this is what happened. Uh-oh. This, this story takes us back to the Holocaust, actually. Oh, no. There was a horrible Nazi doctor named Josef Mengele who was doing horrible experiments on people, human beings, bodily experiments and things. And this theory, this guy said that this is what happened. So you had to know that background on on Dr. Mengele first. So the idea is that there really was a saucer that crashed and the Air Force recovered it and these odd, like, deformed beings came out of it. They were actually people, though, that Dr. Mengele had, in fact, experimented on. And Dr. Mengele survived and was was living in Russia. And the Russians were using him to fly experimental aircraft with these patients inside and intentionally crashed it in New Mexico in order to fool the U.S. government into thinking that there was an alien crash. Oh my gosh, there are so many layers to that. Is that not the sickest, weirdest thing ever? And so it's like, I I think that conspiracies have, I think, a power which is not unlike the power of of a deep text or or an important piece of literature uh-huh. to to like spring out in multiple directions right. and just get more layered and stranger and deeper um the further that 
that they go. I know that's a weird example, but I thought of it because no. it's, it's it came out somewhat recently in a book, and it was supposed to be like a bombshell about the Roswell thing. <laughs> Did it ever pan out as real? I mean, it's probably fake. Yeah, probably well, never happened. Like this isn't real. There wasn't really Dr. Mengele didn't really survive in Russia. The Russians right. didn't really fly a saucer there. There really weren't people being experimented on whom then we mistook for aliens. Like that's all fake. See the thing that right? to me, is it fake? I don't know. I don't know. That's the thing. I don't know. To me, that's the thing that's interesting about that is just then I have a ton of questions about like what does that say about Cold War anxiety and what does that oh, say about yeah. you know like totally. how we think of ourselves as Americans in relationship to the Star Wars project and I mean you could go a gazillion <laughs> different ways with that. The JFK thing is probably our, our most famous yeah. American conspiracy yeah. theory. Yeah, that one. Um, that one will never die. No, it won't. It it probably can't. And why should it? I mean, this is, you know, it's about power. It's about the highest level. So mm-hmm. these conspiracies have a way mm-hmm. of drawing us in and, and the QAnon phenomenon and and the Trump prophecy, um, su- supposing that they're not real. Yeah. Um, t- tell us about the staying power of these kinds of, of stories. I think, I, I mean, from my perspective, I think they, ha- well, you've given us great historical precedent with Nero, but they've, they've always been around. I think they, they always will be around because they generate... Um, a lot of fun and energy. I think something that's really distinct about this point in time is that conspiracy theories have always been floating around there. But I think this is one point in time where we're experiencing um, them a little bit more on the main stage. Like there were some um, like kind of out there ideas that like people like Teddy Roosevelt Mm -hmm. was promoting something. Um, he he saw that he thought that Protestant Americans were um, committing what he called race suicide, which is they weren't reproducing at a fast enough rate. And so he actually like was encouraging Americans like wow. to do this kind of big like Protestant um, Americans of European descent to do like this kind of big eugenics exercise. So that's out there, right? Like that's weird. That's mm-hmm. from our one of our most you know revered figures, revered yeah, presidents. Absolutely. So there are times when that happens. I, we're in that time now because it's very. Um, it it's feels like a little bit of a surprise to have a, a president who is also promoting those, like moving them from the fringe up to the main stage of the American consciousness. That's what I think is interesting about this era. I think so too. I, it reminds me of Hannah Arendt in her book on totalitarianism. Says, "Do you know who the do you know who the um, the perfect citizen is of a totalitarian government? Someone who can't tell fact from fiction." Ouch. Hey, we are here today, lucky for us, with Dr. Michael Wood, who is lecturer in psychology at the University of Winchester. He has a PhD in psychology from the University of Kent. His research includes all kinds of very complicated things, but, however, and this is key, his primary research interest and expertise is in the psychology of conspiracy theories. Why do opinions differ so widely on whether conspiracy theories are a valid way to explain what's going on in the world? What separates those who believe in conspiracy theories from those who don't? Things like that. Dr. Wood, it's such a pleasure to have you Welcome. On Weird Religion. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Good to be here. Yeah, so I can tell from your accent and your biography that you're Canadian. So how, how did a Canadian end up end up in the UK? Uh, well, to be honest, I, I mostly blame the X-Files. Oh, uh, oh good. yes. T- tell us yeah. more. Tell us more. So... During like the '90s, I I grew up in the '90s, and I, I kind of watched a lot of X Files, and it yes. just yes. scared the living crap out of me, you know, as <laughs> so, a little kid. And then of I, of course, but but then I, or, or, you guys too. Oh, oh wonderful! You, show. Oh, we're Are children of the '90s. I want to believe the X Files was basically like my was more real than my real life. Yes, for sure. Mm, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. So there, it was that and, and kind of the early internet. So like around 2000 or so, I started getting online and looking at like weird websites of like websites of weird like religious cults and conspiracy theorists and stuff like that. Nice. And I, I, it just kind of fascinated me how I could look at the same world as as these people, but mm. come to such different conclusions. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and I kind of went back and forth on conspiracy theories for a while. And eventually I just got interested in in the psychological side of it. And so I went to the UK to, to study that, mm -hmm. which is weird because you'd think that the US would be you know, the place to study that, the, you know, the home of Area 51 and Roswell and, yeah. Yeah. and, Roswell and the Denver airport. And, <gasps> and whatever. But for whatever reason, the UK is, is, was the place to go around then. That was the wow. only place that had psychologists looking at this stuff. And so that's where I went to do my PhD. And I just, uh, yeah, I stuck around. Is, is, are we in the US, are we the champions of conspiracy theories worldwide? Or is there a country that stands out like this, this country is, is really the they home base. They produce the best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, in terms of coming up with original conspiracy theories, I think the U.S. is is up there. USA, right. USA. Yeah. Okay. But, but you, you guys are good exporters, but there are other countries that are really good importers of Ooh, conspiracy theories. Interesting. That's fascinating. Wow. So, for in, for example, like one of the big things about conspiracy theories is that um, they tend to be believed by people who are in kind of a worse position relative to others. Like they feel like they're at a disadvantage. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um. So you know if if like, let's say you're a, you're a Democrat and then after the last election, the Republicans won, mm -hmm. your party's out of power. You would tend to latch on to more conspiracy theories. There's there's like ex experiments and, and, and just general, you know, studies over time showing this in a bunch of different countries. Right. So Interesting. the, the parts of the planet that are poorer, that feel like they're, they've been kind of hard done by, those are the areas where you see a lot of conspiracy theories. And if you go to places like Jordan or Egypt you you see like huge amounts of conspiracy theory uh, beliefs. I knew somebody that lived in Jordan for a while as an academic, and he said the conspiracy stuff was rampant in Jordan. Mm. So that makes okay. But I, I want to latch on to something that you just said about being in a worse position. Like, um, you know, Donald Trump is president of the United States. He won, as he reminds us very frequently. He's winning. <laughs> he's winning. He's winning. They're winning. They've won, and they're winning. But yet we see, and maybe it's just been popularized by the fake news media, who knows, but it seems like there are, there are a lot of very high, widely publicized conspiracy that, conspiracies that have been cropping up around and in support of the Trump presidency, like QAnon, for example, um, which we've just discussed mm -hmm. a little bit earlier on the podcast. You know, like, how, how, how do you explain that? Is that deprivation too, or a kind of perceived situation of loss for that group, even though they're winning? Or how, how does that work? So yeah, probably, yeah, part of it is, is a sense of, of, uh, victimhood, I guess. And, mm. and you see that in, in some of the rhetoric, um, around, you know, certain aspects of, of political culture, but also, uh, one of the reasons why people will, will tend to believe or reject conspiracy theories is that they take cues from political elites and sort of social elites. Oh. And if you have somebody in a position of extreme power, like say the president, who's really into certain conspiracy theories, or if, if not coming out and outright endorsing them, then saying, you know, there's something very suspicious here. You know, we don't really know what's going on, but, but there's there, something's up, you know, they're not telling us the whole truth. Then yeah, that becomes a big driver of conspiracy theories among the, the general population. So that's probably why you see a lot of right-wing ones as well. So I've got a question for you related to that. Would you say that people who are attracted to more authoritarian styles then are, are more attracted to conspiracies? Yeah, so I, I just published a paper on this recently um, with uh, my co-author Deborah Gray, 
Uh, it depends on the conspiracy theory okay. is, is the short answer. So ah. if it's a conspiracy theory that blames like a minority group or an outsider group, um, then yeah, authoritarians are going to be more attracted to that. If it's a conspiracy theory that says, you know, the system is corrupt and our, our leaders are lying to us and we can't trust, you know, what, you know, we're supposed to believe and, and the whole system that we live under is, is this, you know, control mechanism. Um, that kind of conspiracy theory doesn't appeal that much more to, to high authoritarians because it's kind of um, it, it not I wouldn't say revolutionary, but it's a little bit more uh, uh, anti-authoritarian than, oh, you know, when, when you have the authority that's kind of scapegoating uh, outsiders and, and relatively powerless groups. Do you do you see that there are any trends in the kinds of conspiracy theories that utilize a lot of religious imagery or religious storytelling? So we, you know, both of us are religion scholars and we're sort of interested in that connection. Do you see any of that? Well, some of it comes down to the audience. So people will pick up on the conspiracy theories that match the stuff that they already believe. Mm. So um, mm. when when the Da Vinci Code was big. Oh, yeah. Um, which I, you guys probably have a lot of opinions on the Da Vinci Code, I imagine. Um, I thought it was wildly, that, wildly entertaining. I mean, people skewered it for a sort of its its appropriation of New Testament scholarship, but as a, as a story, I mean, super fun. Brian went to Harvard, though, so he he probably knew what's the main character's name? Uh, Robert Langdon was that Robert his name? Langdon? Yeah, they oh were yeah, best no, friends we were friends. He was my Harvard. he was my professor actually. <laughs> professor Langdon Professor was my advisor. Langdon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, in your, in your symbology elective, exactly. that's right. That's right. Well known yeah, yeah. field of yep. study. Yep. Yeah, yep. yeah, I was there. So. Basically, um, around the time that the Da Vinci Code was coming out, there was this experiment that that a couple of uh, psychologists did on people who, who were sort of more traditionally Christian and people who were a little more kind of New Age crystal healing type. Uh, and, and what they found was that the people who were um, sort of more traditionally Christian were really not into the Da Vinci Code stuff huh. because it's kind of saying that, you know, aspects of Christianity have kind of been made up and, and some of it has, right. been, has been covered up and it's kind of a lie and we don't, we're not being told the whole truth. That wasn't palatable to the people for whom that was a big part of their life. But the people who were a little more new agey, it fit with their belief system. And so they were quite likely to pick that up. And then you see kind of the opposite for beliefs that fit a little bit more with Christianity. So it, it, it really is kind of content dependent. You know, there's some uh, conspiracy theories that will appeal to strong Christians that do nothing for Jews or Muslims or, you know, whoever else. In, in, in your field of study and your understanding, what's the definition of a conspiracy versus what's not a conspiracy? Like what are the constitutive elements of something that crosses the line between whatever is not conspiracy into that realm of conspiracy? Okay, so do you mean conspiracy or conspiracy theory? Yeah, conspiracy theory. Like, what 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 constitutes a conspiracy okay. theory proper? So, a conspiracy theory, like for me as a psychologist, I can't really care too much whether these things are true. Right. I right. mean, as a, as a private citizen, I obviously I care if I'm being poisoned by the lizard people. But, right. <laughs> uh, but it, you know, professionally, I'm interested in what people believe and why people believe it, and right. then. The, the truth judgment can't really enter into that. So I think that a conspiracy theory is is just anything that is a proposed plot by by sort of multiple parties, usually pretty powerful, to do something uh, secretly, like some kind of secret plot that has like a, a sinister end goal. I see. And usually mm. there's this element of, of a deception or like a, a cover story. I see. And that's not a perfect definition. You know, I, I, 
people have tried. There's a big debate about this. Nobody can agree on what a conspiracy theory is. Um, <laughs> I see. Is it kind of like so the good. Supreme Court ruling like uh, on pornography? You know it when you see it. Yeah, that's kind of it. But you know, people will disagree about this because nobody likes to have their beliefs called a conspiracy theory. You know? <laughs> right, it's a pejorative right. term. Yeah, totally. You're a conspiracy theorist. It's a pejorative term. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So, so that's part of the reason why it's it's so contentious about it. As a psychologist, I don't know. This is kind of maybe a wacky question. Like, are you? Do you think that people who believe in conspiracies would be better off if they were disabused of the falsehoods in them? Or is it psychologically beneficial to believe things that are fake if it, say, supports a kind of... Positive. Co yeah, or a coherent, variety. meaningful world. Does that question make sense? Yeah, I mean, so th there's evidence that, that conspiracy theories are more likely when people have certain psychological needs that are, are being some in some way stymied or unfulfilled. You know, if people feel like they don't have control over what's going on around them, mm -hmm. they'll be more likely to perceive uh, conspiracies in kind of ambiguous social situations. You know, you can there, there have been experiments where they say, you know, uh, they, they give people this kind of induction that puts them in a state of mind where they feel like they do or don't have control over what's happening to them. Mm -hmm. And then they uh, they, they ask them, OK, well, let's say that, you know, you're at work and you got passed over for a promotion and your coworker was, was promoted instead. And you saw the day before the promotion was announced, your coworker and your boss kind of whispering. Oh. So do you think that they were conspiring? And the people who were made <laughs> to feel like they weren't in control of what's going on were more likely to see a conspiracy there. Oh, wow. and, 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 and there was lots of other stuff, too. Like if you show them a, a picture of just, you know, static, like white noise, they're more likely to see objects in that white noise, you know. Wow. Like like Jesus on a grilled cheese sandwich or or, or the face on Mars or, or anything like that, right? So mm -hmm. it's this general sort of recognition of, of these patterns or or of kind of agency or like a like a hidden hand um that's that's kind of happening out there. Wow. Now as as to whether it'd be better for people not to do that, um Honestly, I, I'm kind of, I'm pretty skeptical about conspiracy theories. Like I, I'm not a big conspiracy theorist myself, and I th I think that it's not a good way to kind of approach stuff in the world. You know, mm -hmm. obviously you can. It, I'm, I'm not going to say you should never be suspicious of anyone, because I think a, a society where nobody's suspicious would be really dysfunctional and and kind of terrible. Right. Yeah. Um, but you know, at the same time, we we also require a certain level of trust in society, and I think that people are not really that bad or that good at doing bad things <laughs> that conspiracies would, would, would make any sense, you know? Yeah. A conspiracy theory, like a grand one to pull one off, you have to rely on people being good secret keepers, which is almost never the case. So I can see what you mean. <laughs> do you have yeah. a, Dr. Wood, do you have a favorite conspiracy theory personally? Just one that's bizarre, uh, yeah. fun, weird in some way? Well, there's a few out there. I love the hollow earth. Um, that's, that's a good, that's a, a really good one. The earth is, that, that one tells itself, the earth is hollow. That's it. <laughs> yeah, that's the conspiracy. I like it. It's efficient. Well, yeah. You know, there's, there's variations. Sometimes we're, we're actually living inside the hollow earth, man. Oh, we're wow. inside the hollow earth. It's oh, like a dome. Yeah, like but it. it's, it's like an optical illusion. So you can't see it. It's, it's I a see. whole thing. There's, there's a guy who doesn't believe that toucans exist. So wait, how does, and how do we Why even know about thing? him? Like, well, it's not it's not just that one thing. He thinks that a lot of stuff is a hoax. Oh. He's got a YouTube channel. I, I can't remember his name, but if you search for like toucans are a hoax. There are oh people, my gosh, find. I'm hooked. Yeah, there are people who do this with dinosaurs too, right? People who say that dinosaurs never existed. 
Well, I, I think that that's kind of easier than with toucans because with toucans <laughs> you can just go like, see one. Yeah, but he thinks that's that true. That's like, true. That somebody's like scotch taped a, a fake beak to like a, some other type <laughs> oh, of bird. No. And, that's, he, that's my favorite now. That wow. one, yeah, I like yeah. that one. I, no, it, his I'm a fan. Are great. He, he just says like, ah, oh, you know, come on, nothing, nothing can have a beak like that. That's obviously fake. <laughs> that's obviously fake. Well, Doctor Wood, we're gonna have to have you come and visit us sometime because in a in the town right next to our university town. There is um, a supposed UFO sighting that happened, I think, in the 50s. Yeah, 50s or 60s. Yeah, it's like the one, it's like the B side of Roswell. Um, <laughs> and they have a UFO festival every year. So you're going to have to come out and visit us sometime. <laughs> <laughs> this has been, oh, I love that. This has been super illuminating. And I know we could go on and on, but we'll have to r- wrap it up here. Dr. Wood, we appreciate your research so much and for taking the time to come here and chat with us. Um, there's clearly so much here to be explored, and your research is doing that um, in sophisticated ways. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thank awesome. You. Bye-bye. Bye. Wow, that was really a great conversation with Dr. Wood. Oh, I was so enchanted thinking yeah. about, you know, just like st- like the way that a psychologist or really, I mean, this is something that's enchanting to me about scholarship in our age of chaotic disinformation is just like the effort and the energy and the talent and the time and the skill you need to just like actually try to study something. Yeah, that's <laughs> you <know>? true. <laughs> like just to like the work that you go through to try to find out what is the truth. And it's not easy to do. Yeah. I, I To me, I was really struck by one particular thing that he mentioned, yeah. which was the distinction between – um, you know, we we asked when we asked him about which groups are more attracted to conspiracy theories, and he made that distinction between the kinds of um, people who are are oppressed or worse off, mm-hmm. who rely on conspiracy theories to explain the world, and then the people who perceive themselves to be worse off. Mm-hmm. How do you? I mean, you've done a lot of, and I don't know if we would classically define it as conspiracy theory, but you've worked in like ancient conspiracy type communities. What do you see related to that? Well, you know where my mind went right away was just to this whole, okay, so there was a a very popular article. I don't know if it was in the New Yorker or the Atlantic, one of those great Uh long form, you know, venues over the summer or maybe it was even last year, which was kind of talking about the way that just like victimization and victimhood culture has evolved. And the suggestion that maybe in the past, the kind of people that were always talking about like trigger warnings and the kind of people who were always, you know, claiming that they were oppressed. Now that kind of language has been co-opted. By people who are not oppressed. By people who are actually not historically oppressed. Interesting. And so this question, I guess I was so keen to ask him about that issue. And now when you, when you bring it up again, I'm so keen to talk about it again because it's kind of like this has become one of the great cultural questions of our time. Like, who is oppressed? Who mm-hmm. is victimized? Who's having a bad time? And it's kind of been like, if you can prove that you're having a bad time, you're entitled to something. It's kind of like in marriage, like in a relationship. Like, <laughs> you win if you're the you one. You win if you're having the, if you're having <laughs> the worst, worst time. If you're having yeah. the worst time, you kind of win. And there's like a special kind of consideration <laughs> that you give. And so I think culturally, this has become a big deal. And I'm not trying to make, I have no like grand cultural statements to make about this. I have no one to blame. I have no one to throw under the bus. I have no one to re-victimize. I have none of that really probably to offer. I just, I guess I'm just, I'm just, I'm just bewildered and finding it, I'm finding it bewildering to think of, like to think of someone like me. Okay. I'll just use myself. You can always use yourself, right? Yeah. Like I'm a tall white male 
I have very well spoken. I, I am I am totally well spoken. Accomplished. I'm accomplished. <laughs> I just like for me to like peddle a conspiracy theory in which I am being victimized. Of course, have I been victimized in my life in small ways? Of course I have. Like everybody has. Sure. You know, like I, but but but, but it, it seems a little silly. Seems a li- it would seem a little silly for me culturally, given what I have and who I am, to pursue a line of thinking which sees myself in this bizarre situation as an underdog who's being held back by cosmic forces. Right. But the but but I can think of a situation in which I would do that or I could do that in a, in a, in a kind of bad state of mind, maybe not my best self, if I mm. wanted to get something, if I wanted to win, and I saw being a victim as a way forward with for power. Mm. If wow. I thought I could get power that way. And so, you know, white males like myself are kind of like, we're like the kings of power in the United States. <laughs> like, that's how it's been, right? right? And so, like, you know, we're like, hmm, this oppression stuff. It's kind of, oh, wow. works really, now, now works really well. Like, I don't know. Maybe let's try this out. Did you, know? you guys all have a meeting <laughs> without us? <laughs> yeah, well, you weren't invited. <laughs> of course not. You weren't there. Um, but I don't, so anyway, just be, just by observing this and seeing this and, and noticing these dynamics around me and in my life and just seeing it, it just, it made me so curious about him using that category because we talked about this in, our, in one of our season one episodes, uh, the one on Wild Wild Country called mm-hmm. The Cult. We talked about this idea of do people join cults who are more, you know, disenfranchised, disassociated from society. In the ancient world, when you want to talk about the ancient world, I mean, so many people were disempowered. So many yeah. people were starving and sick and quote marginalized. That um, um, one of your one of your professors and mentors at Vanderbilt, AJ Levine, talks yeah. about this in terms of the New Testament. Like people who talk about, you know, oh Jesus was always helping the marginalized, quote unquote, the oppressed. And, and she says, like, yeah. basically in the New Testament world, like everyone was oppressed and marginalized. <laughs> right. Like it's hard to find people who weren't compared to today's standards. And so when we think of those categories in the ancient world, it's tough. But anyway, I you know. I'm I'm fascinated that he went for the deprivation angle. That that's that that's a live angle, at least in yeah. psychology. Because um, I would think that there would be some people that could rise up and say, no, no, no. There, you know, belief in all these kinds of things. Sometimes you find very well-adjusted people believing very strange things too. Yeah, well, it's kind of funny because when you and I we co-authored this article, and when we when we did, we were, you know, you were talking ancient world and I was talking about American right. religious history and the ones that, that we used for the article. And, and honestly, they were the, just the first ones that came to mind were conspiracy theories made by people in power who were feeling threatened. So if right. it, it was like basically, you know, conspiracy theory, theories about Roman Catholics taking over the American mm-hmm. experience is was created those conspiracies were created by Protestants who were historically quite right. dominant in American culture. So I thought that was the. I, I actually I thought you know maybe we should have done some more research on this about what totally. oppressed communities. I mean, you know, I um, I study American Pentecostalism, and I thought, well, I mean, they're sort of famous for their conspiracy theories. And then I thought, how far back does that go? Like, what about in the early days when they were more associated, where where they were less enfranchised, you know, in American culture? Like, were they more likely or more or less likely to do that? So Mm -hmm. anyway, those are the kind of thoughts that I was having. And I just thought, oh, wow. I hadn't really divided it into those categories before you mentioned that. Yeah, well, now I'm intrigued to know more. I also think there's a story to tell here. It feels almost like a cliche to have to tell it, but it seems like it is true. Just the way that 
the internet broadly, but also just things like Facebook Mm -hmm. have just given credence to just so many. I'm just bewildered by our world. I'm just bewildered by like how many different ideas and things are just flying and whizzing around my face all the time. And like you think about this flat earther thing that's been going on. And maybe by his definition of a conspiracy, the flat earther thing, is it really a conspiracy? Because what's the sinister plot? I guess the sinister plot would be we're all living in ignorance that our earth is flat and (laughs) Whatever, right. but I, you know, is there something beyond the flat earth then that there's some other group that doesn't want us to see because they're making money on it? I don't know if it has to be that way, but whatever the case, um, yeah. the fact that anyone now can just like write about this kind of stuff and that people who don't take the time like the psychologist does or don't take the time, you know, in any kind of academic or professional or just an organized way, not suggesting that you have to be a scholar in order to understand the world. But it's become very difficult to even understand anything about the world. Maybe it's not any more difficult than it's ever been, but there's just so much out there that something like a flat earth thing could actually get traction now. Well, actually, it's funny that you mentioned that because I was just talking about someone we were kind of having a back and forth about, is it worse now than it used to be in the past? Yeah. And I was, I wanted to argue, my gut wanted to argue, yes, it is worse. Not because people are more or less gullible. Although now I'm sort of kind of reevaluating that because maybe the mechanisms for delivering all these conspiracy theories make us more gullible. So that's a question that I have. But my argument was like the, the omnipresence of media and like the tools that we use to communicate yeah. conspiracy theories, I think make it more like – Make them more prominent. and But you know what Dr. Wood brought up, and that was such a good point, was that it matters if the conspiracy theorists are center stage. So it's one thing to have someone who's kind of like off to right. the side, you know. Um, although I have to say that our, our current president is not the first person, not the first American leader to, you know, publicly espouse conspiracy theories. But um, I do think that that matters. That's a distinction, too. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. maybe those two things are making it a little bit more intense for us. Um, I mean, you and I both grew up in communities that um, were known for embracing conspiracy theories. Do yes. you think that it was more intense in our childhood or, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Everything is more intense in childhood. That's but true. I was thinking, though, when you raise the specter of our things worse now, it just I, I suddenly had this haunted thought, like, what if it's just true that people, just as people, are just as stupid and gullible now as they've ever been and will never become any less or more stupid or gullible <laughs> in the future? Just on a basic level. Like, this is what we are. Well. This is all we're ever going to be. <laughs> like, as a species. This is just us. Hmm. This is These are our limitations. This is how we make sense of the world. Well, maybe we need to consider some benefits to that sort of gullible, like, the 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 willingness to believe in people. <laughs> I'm trying to turn this around. Well, how about my willingness to believe that the Packers, the Green Bay Packers, can still turn their season around and make the playoffs? Um, okay, so if I followed football, I would get that joke. <laughs> <laughs> It'll apply any season. People can listen to this in the year 2057. And, and it'll that still joke, apply. That joke will still be relevant. <laughs> A little shout out for our football fans, of whom there are none. Welcome to Kitch Corner, the segment of Weird Religion where we look at a particular artifact of Christian kitsch culture and we discuss 
And uh, tell us what we've got today, Brian. Well, today we've got the third <laughs> eagle of the apocalypse, as he is known not on YouTube. Not the first, YouTube. not the second. Not the, the first, third. not the fourth. The third eagle of the apocalypse. Um, it's this guy on YouTube who has these videos in which he smokes out many conspiracies that you would not think of. Like, for instance, he has a video about satanic imagery in the Denver airport. Oh, Although right. our producer today, Eric, tells us that that's a thing, that that's something <laughs> other people discuss. So who knows? Maybe that's real. Yeah. But what you hear in the background here is the third eagle singing. Okay, now I've got to describe. He's, this is a very peppy song. Here's, here's yeah. the part I like. Oh yeah, that part is great. Okay, it's, it's got he's, a little. Turn. Okay, so he's he's in front of a lake or a pond and some grass, and he has a keyboard and he's just wearing a polo shirt. And you can out. you can hear the wind. I don't know. You, you can hear the wind like whistling by as he's singing about Armageddon and the Book of Revelation. Uh huh. I love it. But he's talking about trimming the lamps because you won't get a second chance. And this thing actually comes around to Obama, in which he. He he equates Obama with a leopard character in the book of Revelation and says that Obama... Now, this was made in 2010. Mm-hmm. Did Obama... He's talking about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Obama is a horse. Here we go. I love it. Just listen. Just listen. When Enoch and Elijah... Okay, I have to say that <laughs> This is a very biblically literate song. Oh, he's talking about Enoch? He's talking about Elijah? Yeah, lots of deep cuts in the in apocalyptic literature. People are calling down fire from the sky. This is what's great about YouTube, though. What a time to be alive. I mean, I know. anybody... Guy, as of today, 155,000 views. So this is not an unpopular artifact. Um, yeah. I mean, just this whole genre of reflecting on Revelation. I don't know. You must, you must have memories of this from your childhood. Just like, maybe not this guy, but, you know. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, not this guy. Actually, I think a really beautiful version of this is I Wish We'd All Been Ready by Larry Norman. Oh. That's an awesome song, and I stand by it still to this day. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Americans for a long time have had these sort of millennial hopes and especially rapture theology. And yeah. so this is sort of like just the next version, <laughs> you know? It's been going on for quite some time. He's now talking about how America is Babylon and oh. someone is getting burned. You know what, Seal? So that's interesting to me. I didn't catch that when I watched it the first five times because yeah. I did watch it several times. Merchants, I- When merchants weep, the merchants cry. Babylon. When Babylon the whore gets fried. That's fried. in Revelation. Oh. Okay, and here's the Obama part. The Obama part is what? The Obama part is very special. Okay, here it is. Obama is beast number three, a leopard, which comes from the sea. He's got four heads. He's got four wings. The Bible calls him the leopard king. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I love it. Oh, my it. gosh. Oh, my gosh. He's the uh, leopard king. Okay. So, can I make an observation about this? I'd like to yeah. hear what you think. But Please. typically, when you have these sort of eschatological um, groups that talk about, like, America playing a particular, like, a powerful role in the apocalypse, yeah. we're not Babylon. That's interesting to me. So, like, for example, the Left Behind series. Yeah. Like it's some other hapless European country, right? Who or it was, or the Babylon. Russians. It was the Russians for a while. Oh that yeah, was yeah. But well, right. America, but the, so this is interesting. but this guy he's calling America the Babylon. Yeah, like, that's that's, fascinating. that's rare. You don't see that every day in these. No. That's a great point. I wasn't thinking about that, but that's true because usually it's usually this stuff kind of falls into a very 
a very predictable script. Like, we're yeah. the good guys, our enemies are the bad guys. Well, one one thing that I'd like to know is if you would do a 2018 version, if we'd be Israel again or something. Well, this is what's confusing about this thing. And I got to say, the third eagle has kind of let us down a little bit because <laughs> he, you know, he basically says that Obama as the leopard king in the video, and I'm just rewinding the video so we can keep it going because uh -huh. it's about to end. Yeah. I, the thing is, he, he says that Obama as the leopard king is going to start a war that he can't win as happens in this particularly, you know, climactic section. Right, right. But that didn't happen. Yeah, oops. <laughs> so, yeah. did he start, a, did Obama start a war? I mean, it didn't, I don't think that. He didn't start, well. well did we miss something? <laughs> Was he the Leopard King? Some political scientist is going to be like, you guys suck. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's he, right. He totally <laughs> Was this about drones and Yemen and oh, stuff? Oh, yeah, yeah. But it's not about well, drones Well, I feel Yemen. like we're, we're like giving it way too much thought. He'll start a war that he can't win. Obama is. Obama is the leopard king. It's that weird. that I do know from the video that he is the leopard king. I don't know what oh the war goodness. was though. This is the this is the danger when you do this. But yes, I but, Oh wait. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say that's the magic though of apocalyptic stuff is that you don't have to get really detailed because your listeners will fill or listeners or readers will right. fill in the details themselves. So it's almost to his benefit to keep it vague. Well, and I think look, I will say in support of this kind of thing as a biblical scholar, I think I think for Christians readers of the Bible the Bible has to be kept relevant. The Bible has to be contemporary. Mm -hmm. That's something that ancient interpreters were always mindful of as well. The Bible is harmonious and the Bible is cryptic, they believe, mm -hmm. but they believe that the Bible was always relevant. Yeah. It was always contemporary. Mm. And so I think maybe there are some misfires here. Maybe Obama is not the leopard king. Mm -mm. Maybe he didn't start a war that he couldn't win and now he's not the president anymore, so whatever. But um, it's a way of at least engaging the text. I mean, and it's perhaps the most simple and powerful method of biblical interpretation, which is reading the text and seeing your own world reflected in it. Well, I have to say, I don't know about you, but Revelation is my all-time favorite book of the Bible. I actually love it. And I think that the the imagery is really beautiful. That's probably why I get a little riled up, you know, when I see it being used or misused or, you know, I, I just love it. I think like this, the, the, there's a lot of beautiful imagery there. And, um, I don't, I'm not a keyboardist though. I, I don't think I could express it in the song. <laughs> take us out, Third Eagle. Take us out. Listen to the wind in the background. <laughs> buy and you will sell but then your soul will burn in hell it's prophesied it's prophesied you can run but you can't hide i will say it's very singable it's very catchy we got to do this to the end now Hey, thanks for listening, weirdos. We will normalize weirdness. But then it won't be weird. Yes, it will. <laughs> for extras on subjects covered in this episode and other related jokes, don't forget to follow us on the socials and visit our website, weirdreligion.com. We're doing our own production these days and some of our own musical and voice flourishes, but our official theme music is still, as always, by Cassie Blum. And our official album artwork is by John Williams. When you podcast, podcast with us. Bye.